Welcome everybody to the Pierce Point Podcast. This podcast is designed to be a thought-provoking journey through the scriptures. Every weekday, my friend and fellow pastor Barney Estes and I walk through the Word of God verse by verse. As always, we'd love to know your thoughts about today's episode. You can hit us up at Pierce Point Church on Facebook or Instagram. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. Okay, so here we are again, Luke chapter 19, and we're going to be jumping into this story of a man named Zacchaeus, uh, as well as the parable of money usage, or um, as some translations would call that, the parable of the minas, right? Or minas, uh, regardless of how it's pronounced, that is where we'll be at. So, uh, we might as well jump right into verse one. So what stands out to you, sir? Sure. Well, I want to sing the song Zacchaeus was a wee <laughs> little man. A wee little man was he. Uh, I think everyone that's ever been in a, uh, a children's uh, Sunday school has heard the story of Zacchaeus and he and his uh, his uh, meeting up with uh, Jesus. And uh, uh, so I think we're going to learn a lot more about him today. Uh, he wasn't just short uh, <laughs> and yes. knew how to climb trees. Yes, absolutely. So as we as we roll into this, we're going to do what we always do. We're just going to walk through it verse by verse and comment as we go. So uh, he, being Jesus here, enters Jericho and was passing through, and there was a man a man called by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and he was rich. So if we just kind of pause there for a second, we've got this Zacchaeus guy. We've talked a lot about tax collectors, but he was a chief tax collector. So in this Ponzi scheme, uh, he's, he's <laughs> sitting at the top, right, in this, in this situation, uh, and he has made a, a lot of money. Now, uh, interesting thing about the man, Zacchaeus, uh, the word Zacchae or Zacchaeus, um, is is known. We we see uh, we see references to this kind of name in Ezra and in Nehemiah, um, but the name in Hebrew Hebrew means Hebrew Hebrew. Right. You know, so the name in Hebrew Hebrew means righteous one. Yeah, and so we're yeah. going to get into some fun fun ideas here. But nothing is made of that meaning in Luke's. Uh, gospel account. Nothing is made of that meaning anywhere in the gospel accounts, but I, I just think it's interesting that this story, this guy who is a chief tax collector uh, and who had made the money, made his money off the backs of other people, mm-hmm. he was actually named the righteous one. You had to think that your name is haunting you yes. as you live yes, out this you, weird life. You, you would think, and as you've said, he's he's the he has other tax collectors who work for him. So uh, he he was a man that would have been even more hated than a than an ordinary <laughs> run-of-the-mill tax collector because this guy was over a bunch of them. So there was not only a dislike, the Jews hated them, not only a dislike of the taxes that but but they but they were known to be scammers and swindlers and and they were traitors they worked for the roman government they had been they they had uh sold out uh to rome and went to work for them and some of them as zacchaeus was had become quite quite wealthy by yes. doing the job that he was doing and uh uh i, I and they're very well known to be uh, used, Jesus talks about them as being sinner. When he ha- uses the word sinner, he uses the word tax collector many times. Yeah, sinners and, and tax uh, collectors. Sinners and tax collectors, or publicans as they were called, and uh, and so did John the Baptist. So yeah. they they had a they didn't have a great view of tax yeah. collectors. Definitely a bad reputation. Something else that's worthy of note here is that. That Jesus is said to be entering Jericho, and uh, according to history, Jericho was actually a um, a throughput to uh, different uh, different areas of the time, and so it was a, a place where goods were passed through. And one of the taxes that I don't think people think of, I, th- I think we enter uh, conversations about tax collectors with this predisposed idea of. 
of this governing official that's just coming and saying, I need your, I need your 30% of your income or something mm-hmm. like this. But poll taxes were another example of their collection. And so uh, uh, Jericho was an, oh, a throughput for this, and it was a common place for this to happen. It could be that that was one of Zacchaeus's uh, things that he oversaw, mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. Would, would have been these uh, poll taxes. Mm-hmm. So Verse two says he was he was rich, a chief tax collector, and then verse three says Zacchaeus was trying to see who Jesus was and was unable because of the crowd, for he was small in stature. And of course, this gives a bad name to everybody who's who's short. But yeah, he's we. Uh, that's probably the most uh, one of the most defining uh, uh, things that we hear about of Zacchaeus, but. Uh, he, but the, the the other piece of this that stands out is that he wanted to see who Jesus was, and it just makes me wonder what what ha- had he heard about him. Now, obviously, at this time, Jesus was known throughout that region, and certainly Jericho, with as you've said, is a thriving city, one that the people there would have certainly known who he was. And he was coming through their town and had a large number of people with him. And I mean, these are thousands of people that are following him around by this time. So, but I wonder what it was that Zacchaeus had heard about Jesus that made him want so badly to see who Jesus was, it says, and uh, to, to be able just to get a glimpse of him. And I, so I think maybe we'll learn more about it as we go, but I think I... I think that Zacchaeus is probably has a little bit more in his mind than what, than what just wanting to see a celebrity. Yes, I, I I love I love this question because, you know, the question of what was Zacchaeus expecting? What was he looking for in Jesus? Um, we tend to keep our minds. Uh, in this realm of we've heard of his miracles, we've heard of signs and wonders, and and we we know the claims, at least the claims of the people on this man. He's a prophet, or he's you know he is a man of God. Maybe he's Elijah come and returned, or or something like this. We we see all of these things, but we we can never forget that this is a real world. This was a real world. Mm-hmm. It was real life, and. These occupational hazards that came with certain occupations, certain jobs, like tax collector, being hated, being on the fringe, being the outcast of sorts, you have to imagine at some point that Zacchaeus would have heard, Jesus, you know the guy who sits and eats with people like us? Mm. Mm-hmm. Right? Not, I mean, Zacchaeus is not going to Jesus and hoping he's going to give him extra height. He's short. He's going to deal with it for the rest <laughs> yes. of his life. But, but it, because it's not a sickness to be healed. But, but the idea here is that you, you have to kind of put yourself into this world that Zacchaeus is hearing. This Jesus character that's coming, sure, he's done a lot of things and everybody's saying all kinds of things about him. But Matthew's traveling with him. Tax collector, redeemed, all of a sudden accepted. You've got other tax collectors that have been sitting. There's an uproar among the Pharisees and all these people because this guy eats with tax collectors. Mm -hmm. And even if the chief tax collector is just wondering what's happening to all of his workers, (laughs) I'm just totally making something up here, a conjecture here, but you got to imagine that that's part of the story Mm -hmm. he's wondering about Mm -hmm. when Jesus comes into town. So just just some food for thought there, that that might be it. I think it's great. And I think if you look at this, I mean, think about a man that is that is obviously he's a Jew. We find out later that Jesus calls him a son of Abraham, and he he is a Jew. But he does. There's no way that he has a lot of friends in the Jewish community now because they were hated. And especially this man has not just gone into gone to work for the Romans. He has moved up the ladder and he's become wealthy working for the Romans. So I suspect that the Jews didn't want a lot to do with him. Nor did the Romans, for that matter. He served a purpose for them. He served. He served to do something that they didn't want to have to do. Yes, they absolutely. didn't want to have to go out here and, and get money from these people for taxes. So, what better than to get one of their own who was willing to sell himself out and be a trader and work for Rome? Yeah. In many ways, it's like being the repo man. It's it's you have a job that 
there's a lot of hazards that come with Mm -hmm. it and people don't want to do that, at least the higher ups. So they send out these guys to do it. So Zacchaeus is trying to see Jesus, see who Jesus was specifically. I love that line. He wanted to see who Jesus was and he was unable because of the crowd for he was small in stature. Now that's not the only, uh, it's important that, that we read this and just say uh, he couldn't see because he was short that's true, but the crowd must have been substantial enough that whatever this man's height, mm. he couldn't see Jesus. So what does he do? It says that he ran on ahead, and, and I love that. He actually goes up ahead. He sees where they're heading. He runs on ahead. He climbs up into a sycamore tree in order to see him. So there's a lot of, there's a lot of desire in this man to see who this Jesus character is. For he was about to pass through that way. So, so there's there's something implied, there's something stated here that will help us in our understanding of why Zacchaeus may be uh, looking for Jesus. And that is this entourage, this crowd that's coming through, some word about Jesus has gotten through. Oh, sure. And so you don't just see a, a guy being followed by a massive crowd. And so something, some word has gotten through. He heard about it before the crowd shows up. He runs over, can't see, climbs a tree. He wants to see Jesus because he's about to pass through that way. And then verse 5, when Jesus came to that place, he looked up and he said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for today I must stay at your house. Now, how do you know my name? <laughs> yes. That's the thought you have. That would be the first thing. And, and you, you don't, we don't, now there are many places we don't necessarily know, and it, because it doesn't state this, but we've read in so many other scripture that it talks about that Jesus, knowing their thoughts or his, his, uh, the ability that he had a, as truly God to know what they were thinking, to know some things that there wouldn't have been any physical way for him to know that. So he does call Zacchaeus by name and says, hey, hurry up and come down for today. I must stay at your house. Now, I, I was, I'm, I'm really uh, surprised at, uh, at what Zacchaeus has done. He, he's like, he is happy. He comes down. He quickly got down. And it says in verse six that he received him gladly. So Zacchaeus is like, this is my lucky day. Yeah, I, this guy, he's a he's a local celebrity, and he's wanting to come to my house to Absolutely. eat. Absolutely, <laughs> I think there's something to be said too about the fact that Zacchaeus, uh, Zacchaeus, he's he is a sinner, he's a tax collector, he's he's just like every other human being, but but he he wants to make him he wants to see Jesus and in doing so he makes himself visible mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. god to to Jesus walking through here and and of course Jesus just calls him by name now uh, you know of course we can conjecture we can say how does he know his name is it supernatural is does he know his name because Zacchaeus is a chief tax collector and therefore maybe he's well known Luke just doesn't make anything of it. No. Neither does any other gospel. So it, it seems uh, it seems pointless. So Jesus knows him, and he hurries and comes down and received him gladly. I love that. Right, that Zacchaeus is who we're talking yes. about. Yeah. He Zacchaeus hurried and came down and received him gladly. Um, that term there, gladly, uh, it means he received him while rejoicing. Yes. You know, so that uh, paints a picture of. There was a great anticipation to to meet this mm-hmm. Jesus. He he really wanted to know something about him. It's not just well, I've heard a lot of things, and I just want to observe this freak of nature, this circus shot mm-hmm. sideshow. Mm-hmm. He wants to know, so he rejoices mm-hmm. by receiving him. Verse seven says, "When they saw it, they all began to grumble, saying, he has gone to be the guest of a man.'" <laughs> who is a sinner. It doesn't matter what you try to do yeah. if you're Jesus, there's always a critic. I mean, yes. maybe we all feel that way, but... <laughs> yes, it is. It's so, it's so, uh, it's not odd. It is, it's totally in uh, the same line of things that have been going on with the, with the leaders, with the leaders of the Jews of that day. And it may have even been, we don't know, may have even been some of his own disciples that, that are that are grumbling a little bit about this. It doesn't say that, but it's more than likely the Jewish leaders of the day. And, and I, I cannot imagine that they would say, 
oh, wow, this, yeah, that's great that he's picked out this guy, a tax collector of all people, a traitor to us, and he's supposed to be a Jew, and he's going to spend the day with him, spend the night at his house, eat dinner with him. Yeah. How does that work? Now, yeah. it's it's really uh, notable that Jesus invited himself. <laughs> he's yes, like, I love to it. Spend, to, it's like, but uh, uh, the, the, this, this thing of, of being uh, a friend to an outcast and being a, I love the fact that Jesus, you know, we talked about his name, but Jesus called him by name. So I suspect that there had been that Zacchaeus, it, it probably been called a lot of things, but <laughs> righteous knew, one, exactly. not so much. Righteous one was not probably not, or, or hadn't been lately anyways, since he started to work for the Romans. But, but it, it seems that there is something personal about someone calling your name and 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 someone that you, he wouldn't have expected that to be. Yeah. And uh, it just seemed like that Jesus was being completely personal with this man and then says, hey, I want to come and eat at your house. Yeah. I think if we explore Jesus's words here, uh, we, we discover something interesting that may in fact allude to uh, may in fact allude to his divine purpose Jesus's divine purpose in going to his house notice it says Zacchaeus hurry and come down but here, here's where it gets interesting in verse 5 Jesus says for today I must mm. stay mm-hmm. at your house um, it, it would be I, I suppose in a common common vernacular, common way of saying this, we would say, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down. I want to come to your house today. Mm-hmm. I want to, showing a showing kind of a, a desire to. But it's interesting that Jesus would use this word, today I must stay at your house. Now, Jesus has told us throughout his ministry, he's told his disciples, um, I must suffer and die. I must yes. go to Jerusalem. I must do these things. I don't know. I think there's something there that Zacchaeus was a part of God's divine plan that that he sent him to go through. And maybe it's the start of the grumbling, let's just go ahead and kill Jesus kind of idea. But but whatever it is, I think there's something in that line. Yeah. I must stay yeah. at your house. We, we've heard many, many times over the years, and it's kind of, we, we hear the it's kind of a cliche, but it, but it, but it happens. It talk, we've heard people talk about a divine appointment, and there are there are those things. I mean, as much sure. as we would would say, well, that doesn't seem right, or I don't understand how that works. I th- I think that there are times that you will be in a place at a time, and you where God wants you to be, and uh, especially if you're following after Christ. Now, there have been I can. I'm sure that many people can look back on their lives and say, I, I, I know for sure that I was there because God wanted me there. I, I know that that's happened before in my own life. So I, I don't know if this, this is what this was, but if this man placed a, 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 you know, everything else on hold and said, I've got to go see this guy. I've got to go yeah. see who he is. And there was something there, something there that was real because, and then... You know, Jesus knows his name. Yes. So I, I believe that there was a desire in Zacchaeus to, to know if he had heard that if this man was the Messiah, he, he would probably have wanted yeah. to know. He, he, he was a Jew. He, he may have been a traitor Jew to the folks that were around him at that day, but he was still a Jew. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I do think we could spend... <laughs> A great deal of time talking about things such as divine appointments or coincidence or or things like that. I'll I'll keep it brief on this, but um, I hear people say all the time, "There's no such thing as coincidence." And my response to that is is if you break down the word, you really understand what's happening here. These are incidents that happen to co-occur. They happen to happen at the same time. <laughs> The truth about life is there are many coincidences. There are many incidents which co-happen. They happen together at the same time. Uh, not everything, I guess what I want to say is not everything is a divine appointment, but it surely is that there are divine appointments. Mm-hmm. So we can't rule that kind of thing out. And I suppose my ap- approach to it is it, it 
it is I'm not the judge of whether or not you had a divine appointment. I'm glad I'm not because I can't even figure out half the time if my appointments were divine (laughs) appointments. Um, I can tell you that sometimes the meetings I have are not divine. (laughs) So so what I'm getting at is that there are coincidences in life. There are incidents that co-occur. There are divine appointments, but here's the big stress for me. There are also things, if in fact Jesus must go to Zacchaeus' house, there are amazing ways in which God orchestrates Zacchaeus' presence there as well as Jesus' presence there sure. without violating Zacchaeus' will, okay? Zacchaeus goes, he's, there's a lot of buzz. You know, here's how I believe things like that happen. I believe that Jesus is, is directed by God. So I believe he goes right through town where Zacchaeus will be. I don't think God moves Zacchaeus into place. Mm-hmm. I think mm-hmm. Jesus moves into place. And all of a sudden, Zacchaeus is like, oh, I've got to meet this man. And and of course, Jesus' divine appointment, Jesus says, I must come to your house today. So just a little sidetrack mm-hmm. on divine mm-hmm. appointments and coincidence. There are those things, and uh, we should really, we should really embrace them if they come and take note of them i mean it's a uh i I, the other thing and i I don't want to spend a whole lot of time on this but i i I, jesus was on his way to jerusalem and we all know what was going to happen there and he knew exactly what was going to happen there but he stops along the way he stops along the way and it wasn't that far jericho wasn't that far he stops along the way to have dinner with this man yes that's there's there's something I, I agree. There's, it? Oh, it is a beautiful yeah. picture of of Christ caring for someone, and and I I just I see that. Yeah. So the common the common complaint, verse seven, is there Jesus goes again, mm-hmm. eating with sinners. Verse eight, Zacchaeus stopped and said to the Lord, "Behold, Lord, half of my possessions I will give to the poor." And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I will give back four times as much. Now, we can skip over that verse by reading a story and miss one of the most important things. And this is what I see in this. Jesus hadn't done anything yet. Right. In the presence of King Jesus, Zacchaeus repents. He actually is willing to turn away from his way, sell what he has and give it to the poor. And notice it says, half of my possessions I will give to the poor. But why half? Why not all? Well, look at what he says. If I have defrauded anyone of anything, I will give back four times as much. The other half was restitution Yeah. for the things. He knows he's defrauded people, right? So, I mean, this is what their MO was. But what I draw out of that, what it, what is so impressive to me is all Jesus did was invite him. Yes. Himself, really. But Zacchaeus come down, I must come to your house today. And while they're walking, Zacchaeus goes, I'll give it all. Yeah. yeah. I'll give half of it to the poor and pay back four times what I've taken. Yes. What a what beautiful repentance. story. I, what, in, in, back in verse six, and this goes exactly along with what you're saying. When, when Zacchaeus hurried and came down, it says that Zacchaeus received Jesus gladly. Now, we see that as saying, oh my gosh, yeah, he's received... A celebrity. A celebrity, gladly. exactly. But but there was more than that going Amen. on there. We, we can see it. There was far more than that. Far more going on. I love that. So verse 9, and Jesus said to him today, and look at that. Okay, so so what is the what is the ordo salutis? Confess with your mouth, behold, Lord. Uh, confess with your mouth, believe in your heart. Right, the, the scripture also says, repent and believe. Okay, what does Zacchaeus do here? I'll give half my possessions to the poor. With the other half, I'm going to give fourfold back for as much as I've defrauded. Okay, um, repentance and belief, and then Jesus responds and says, "Today salvation has come to this house mm-hmm. because he too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man has come to see." and to save that which is lost. The declaration over Zacchaeus was that he was truly lost, but that he was the target of Jesus. Mm-hmm. He was Jesus was aiming for this particular thing. And so if we're connecting that divine appointment, 
I believe that the divine appointment is connected in this way. The reason Jesus must stay at his house was because salvation had come to that house today. He was a son of Abraham, and he came to seek and save the lost. Mm-hmm. He, Of course, he came to, the, to go to the cross. He came to ascend Calvary, but he came uh, for to seek and save yes. the lost. It seemed to be that that was the very desire of Zacchaeus' heart, that he was at a point where he wanted to know if, G- if this Jesus thing was real. Is, is this man, is he able to do what he's been said, what's been said about him that he's able to do? I, I, I think sometimes that we, that we look at stories like this, and, and it's, it's, it's somewhat easy to see because it's so plainly stated that, sal- that that was the end of it. Salvation had come to his house. And but it's it sometimes i think we stop short and say oh my gosh i don't know did this just happen was this zacchaeus overwhelmed i i think not he had a desire that led him to to run and climb up a tree to see jesus yes. there was a desire there there was something in his heart uh that had that was drawing him to christ and as it well should be but yeah. this but his meeting with Jesus in a very short order changed this man, yes. changed this man. So we, we often say in biblical interpretation, we'll say something like the clear passages ought to interpret the obscure passages. Uh, oftentimes what happens is people will take an obscure passage and they'll just conjecture all day long and they come with all kinds of philosophies and beliefs and weird, weird notions. And people run on that. They open new denominations and churches to be be based on this. But in, in right biblical interpretation, we should take clear passages to interpret the obscure or the vague or the, or the interestingly silent passages. The scripture tells us that the that the gospel, the word of God, is the power of God unto salvation. Whatever Zacchaeus has heard, it included this good news. Mm -hmm. And that leads to salvation. Why? How? It woos us. It, It is a... Jesus gives a message that is good news, such good news that it is so compelling, so ravishing, that this sinner says... I gotta, I gotta see. I gotta see. I gotta understand what's happening. For Zacchaeus, that good news may very well have been: this man welcomes people like me. Yeah. Maybe that's it. But there's also another important note that Zacchaeus doesn't think like the 21st century person. And Zacchaeus says, this man welcomes people like me, and in his presence, he repents and recants his entire old way of life. Mm-hmm. says, I'll turn it all around. I'll walk after you any way we can. We preach a gospel today where it's not much of a gospel, where we say, come as you are. Yeah, but Jesus's gospel is come as you are, but you will not leave as you were. You will not turn away mm-hmm. the same way that you were. Zacchaeus didn't turn away the same man. Yeah. He was different now. And that's the gospel what that a, we're inviting people to. What a beautiful story, a beautiful story. The other piece of this, Nathan, that stands out is that we have just read in Luke 18, Jesus has just dealt with the rich young ruler and said these words. He said, how, how hard it is for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. And what was Zacchaeus? He was a rich man. Rich man. He was a rich man. But it was not impossible. He said, what is impossible for man is possible with God. He completely fulfilled that the very, that very next day. He's, he's, he shows that that is fulfilled and that can't, that is true. Uh, that, it, that's an absolutely amazing insight to that. Uh, I had not connected those two stories, but when you connect them, you have, it's hard, it's difficult for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. And in the very next chapter, he says, look, I can do it. Yeah, I just want to prove yeah. it to you. Yeah. I can do it. And not only a rich man, a in some ways, a filthy rich yes. and filthy in the yes. wrong sense, yes. sinful uh, rich. Exactly. He's, a, he's an outcast by the Jews. Yes. And, and, <laughs> Jesus calls him in, in verse 9, he too, it says, he too, he too, being Zacchaeus, is a son of, of Abraham. <laughs> that, there's so much in that we could go for another yes. hour just on that statement yes. alone. But a, a, a true son of Abraham, what I see is that he was 
not only a descendant of Abraham, but, but in this case, he had the faith in God that Abraham had. That was, the, that was made, what, in my opinion, what made him a true son of Abraham. Not his genetics, but yes. his faith. Yeah, the idea here is, uh, the idea of his genetics is, is largely irrelevant. Right. The idea is, he bears fruit in keeping with repentance. We've, we've heard this over and over in our lives, and what does Zacchaeus do? He is repented, and he's bearing fruit in it. Look, that is the heart of yes. an Abraham. Uh, and Abraham goes. Uh, the, God says, come with me. And Abraham picks it up and goes. That's really powerful. Okay, so we roll into verse 11 with the parable of money usage. And I just absolutely love this story. So while they were listening to these things, Jesus went on to tell a parable because he was near Jerusalem and they supposed that the kingdom of God was going to appear immediately. Now, I, I, I love that verse. Why? Because Jesus has already said, I'm standing right here. The kingdom of God was already in their midst, but they're still waiting for something else to occur, right? So they're supposing that the kingdom of God is going to appear immediately, and Jesus just goes on talking to them about things. So he tells them a parable. So he said, a nobleman went to a distant country to receive a kingdom for himself and then to return. And he called 10 of his slaves and he gave to them 10 minus and said to them, do business with this until I come back. But his citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him, saying, We do not want this man to reign over us. When he returned after receiving the kingdom, he ordered that these slaves to whom he had given the money be called to him so that he might know what business they had done. The first appeared, saying, Master, your mina has made ten minas more. And he said to him, Well done, good slave, because you have been faithful in a very little thing, you are to be in authority over ten cities. The second came, saying, Your mina, uh, Master, has made five minas. And, uh, and he said to him also, You are to be over five cities. Another came, saying, Master, here is your mina, which I kept put away into a handkerchief, for I was afraid of you because you are an an exacting man. You take up what you did not lay down and you reap what you did not sow. And he said to him, by your own words, I will judge you, you worthless slave. Did you know that I, did you know that I am an exacting man taking up what I did not lay down and reaping what I did not sow? Then why did you not put my money in the bank? And having come, I would have collected it with interest. Then he said to the bystanders, take the mina away from him and give it to the one who has 10 minas. And they said to him, Master, he has ten minas already. Uh, I, I tell you that to everyone who has, more shall be given. But from the one who does not have, even what he does have shall be taken away. But the enemies of mine, but these enemies of mine, who did not want me to reign over them, bring them here. And slay them in my presence. Mm. Mm. Oh boy, Jesus yeah. just went full tilt here. Yeah, this is a very complicated story in many ways uh, until you start to figure out who all the players were. And it's so important to remember why Jesus is even telling this thing. He's telling it because they were they were thinking that the kingdom of God is going to come immediately. Now. Their version of the kingdom of God was was many times drastically different than Jesus' version of the kingdom of God. Yes. They many of the Jews thought, well, okay, if he is the Messiah, he's going to he's going to be a uh, a king in a political sense. He's going to overthrow Rome. He's going to be the, he's going to come in the way that we see a king coming. And there was a great expectation. We read in Josephus, who was a Jewish historian, that 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 there were that at the point of the Passover here, just a day or, or four days later, uh, there were more than two million people that poured into that town. Now this is this is years, years, years back. They didn't have crowd control and all of that. <laughs> this is so. And 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 he says, jo, Josephus says there was a. Also, a great messianic expectation. Yes. So that even fed into this idea 
that the kingdom of God is going to appear immediately. And what better time than the Passover? And Jesus tells this story to help them understand that it that it, 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 first, his view of the kingdom of God was drastically different than theirs. And their, their understanding of the kingdom of God certainly was not going to appear in the time that they thought it was going to. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think in verse 12, when we see a nobleman went to a distant country to receive a kingdom for himself and then to return, uh, largely this is this is an idea of Jesus going to receive mm-hmm. a kingdom, right? So he's going to receive that kingdom and then he's going to return. Now, the next piece of it, uh, he calls his slaves and gives them ten minas and says to them, "Do business with this until I come back." Um, we have a we have a similar uh, parable to this in in the different uh, the talents, right? What we would call the parable of the talents, and uh, we we understand that the one in charge here uh, represents God. Right, it mm-hmm. represents mm-hmm. it represents God. So there, that's an important piece of the character yes. play, yes. right? So. As we roll out, so let's let's just walk through more of this and try to figure out what's going on here. Verse thirteen, he calls ten of his slaves and gave them ten minas and said to them, "Do business with this until I come back." Um, there, there's all kinds of ideas mm-hmm. here. I mean, there are ideas that with uh, Israel being split the way it was, that this is the northern tribe uh, or the dispersed tribes. Uh, I, you know, I just, I I really think that what we have to deal with is, is waiting to figure this out as we roll through the story, but there's a lot of conjecture. Oh, sure. Sure. Absolutely. There's, there's so much that's going on in, in this story and that, that the, each one of these folks that are in this and each circumstance represents something that Jesus is trying to portray to them. And I think, I think you're right. I think that it seems to be that the, that the nobleman that they talk about, it's, it's God. And, and, uh, it seems to me, it would, it would seem, uh, right to me to be that his going into a far country would be at some point his, his ascension into heaven, whether that be via the cross and, and leaving them, uh, it, it, that seems to fit. Uh, that that the kingdom that they have may be his. Uh, that that he went away. The nobleman went away to receive a kingdom. Well, Jesus came to the to the Jews, and 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 that that would seem to indicate that it was God reigning over the church. But there again, we have to walk through through this. I think it starts to make sense. More sense. As we see how this story unfolds, absolutely, and I think I think the the ideas of um, of his going away to gain a kingdom, it's a it's a rulership, it's an authority, it's a power, right? All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. We see that uh, obviously at the end of Matthew's gospel uh, as the Great Commission. So let's just keep moving forward and we'll try to try to piece all this together. And he called uh, ten of his slaves and gave them ten minas, minas, uh, and said to them, "Do business with this uh, until I come back." But his citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him, saying. Uh, we do not want this man to reign over us. Now, there is a difference between the citizens and the slaves. Yes. Right? Yes. The citizens and the slaves. So we, we've got to make that distinction there. It wasn't his slaves that hated him. It was the citizens that hated him, and they didn't want him to rule. And we're going to see that at the very end because he, he talks very deeply about them. Now, it appears that that, that group... Are those who don't choose to not believe in yes. the Messiah yes. in in King Jesus? Now we can look at that and we could say that was the Jews who had rejected him. It's everyone who will reject him, mm-hmm. everyone who will reject him, and we're gonna we're gonna connect those dots here in a yes. second. It seems that the uh, that the ten minas that that were given. I mean, this is this was a uh, a a representation of a sizable gift. I mean, this. This was this was equal to about a hundred days' wages. So this was something valuable that this man was giving to these slaves. So it it's it seems to have a symbolism of something very valuable. If in fact these are that if this represents work that the servants were to do while the master is away, 
Uh, he's given them a valuable thing to, to, to work with, something yes. like, for example, to do, doing God's work, doing the work of the kingdom would be a valuable thing. Yeah. And he's given them something extremely valuable. So if we if we put this together so far, and we just kind of we're trying to keep these these characters straight, if we have a king, Jesus, who has to go away, his you know his authority, his rulership comes. Uh, basically, we understand at the resurrection this idea. Um, we have the now. The kingdom is in your midst, but we have the not yet, which is that he he receives power from the Father, uh, sitting at the right hand of the Father. Then you have the the slaves or the servants of that particular king, and then you have the citizens who just don't want him to rule over them. So we we have humanity that says, "Forget you, God," and that can include Jews and Gentile. Now, if those if those are the people groups, it really is important to note that of the slaves. There are slaves who are given, Romans 12 tells us, that in view of mercy, we are to present our bodies as a living sacrifice. There are many scriptures that tell us to hold fast and stand firm and endure to the end so that we will be saved. That's what the scripture would say. The idea is that in view of mercy... There, there are many things that are expected of us. We, we're, we've said what we're saying in salvation is I surrender to the authority of King Jesus. We're, we're saying I'm his, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. Now there's expectation of that in view of that mercy. And to be unfaithful in that is pretty dangerous, mm-hmm. okay? And we're, we're going to see that in just a second. So I want those people groups to remain straight as we walk through this, because if it is in fact that that's who those people represent, we have a staggering warning to the Christian who is received from the master, mm-hmm. but chooses to do nothing with chooses it. Chooses to do right? nothing, yes. This, the, the first slave was his, uh, what he had done with the master's mina was he he increased it by about a thousand percent, and 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 it's uh, the he the he this servant heard heard from the master that he had he had done well. He's you you're you're faithful, and yes. he put him over more things. He says uh, in uh, that he was going to put him over ten cities so because he had demonstrated some kind of faithful handling of the resources that he was yes. given. So over ten cities. And then the next guy, uh, it, well, well, first of all, let me back up. It, isn't, it, isn't it interesting that the, that the reward for faithful service is not, hey, go take a break. It's more service. Yes. He gave him more yeah. to do. It's increased, it's increased authority. It's increased dominion, mm-hmm. right? And so I, I love that you went there because what we have to remember about the, the life that God has made here on earth, people, people miss this a lot. Um, Genesis gives mankind a commission. God gives mankind a commission in Genesis that says, I want you to rule and reign. I want you to subdue the earth. I want you to be fruitful and multiply, right? And then he gives us a thou shalt not. He tells us not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Okay. Mm-hmm. Now, we, of course, fall short of that. We, we ruin that whole thing. We tarnish the image that we bear, okay? Now, we have this parable that says when the king comes back, he's going to give you, he gave you some things to be faithful with. But oddly enough, if you're faithful with them, he gives you cities to rule and reign mm-hmm. over. Then we run into Revelation chapter 22, and Revelation tells us that that is the precise agenda for which God's people, his covenanted people, are designed for in the new heavens and the new earth. What do I mean by this? We are to reign with him. That would be what Corinthians would say, or or Romans chapter 5. This idea is that we are to reign with him. So, So to hear that a faithful servant was given the authority to rule a city or 10 was... Wow, right? And it's no wonder because later on, when the guy who is reigning over 10 cities, they say, give that one mina that this guy buried in the ground, give that one mina to the guy who has 10. And everybody goes, but he already has 10. It was a good thing for him to have 10. And they were like, he doesn't need any more. But he was faithful. faithful. He was faithful. And that is a really important thing. Yeah. I love the fact that in both cases, both the, the, the first servant and the second servant, they didn't take credit for the Mina uh, 
doing well. And they, listen to what both of them say. Master, your Mina has made 10 times more. They, they didn't say, I hey, did it. it's my hard work or my, my, uh, my, my ability to, to speak or my ability to work or my intelligence or what I know. Or it, it, they didn't say any of that. They no. said, it's your Mina. Yes. Has made 10, 10, yes. 10 mina. They were just a steward of the mina. Absolutely. Well, and in, in, in that end, of course, there is wisdom that goes into investing and things like this, but uh, you have to have money to make money. Yeah. And yeah. that really is what's happening. But that was a gift from the master. And I think if we keep that in our mind while we're studying, we remember this is in view of mercy. Everything that these slaves yes. are doing is in view of mercy. Who gave them the mina to begin with? The master. the master. The same thing happens for us in our salvation. So verse 15 says, when he returned after receiving the kingdom, he ordered that these slaves to whom he had given the money be called to him so that he might know what business they had done. Remember the people group. This is the slaves that had a responsibility. We're not talking about the citizens of the kingdom here. Verse 16, the first appeared, master, your mina has made 10 minas more. You, you brought that out perfectly, right? And then he said to him, well done, good slave, because you have been faithful in a very little thing, you are to be in authority over 10 cities. Now, right there, the master commends the man. The man acknowledges the master. Yes. Your Mina did this, and the master says, you've done good. You have done well. You are a faithful servant. This really is what our what our agenda should be. We do what God says, mm-hmm. and we let the praise come from him. We, we do not praise ourselves. The scripture would tell us, don't, don't praise yourself, but let your praise come from others. We need to let that praise come from the master, and we don't get praise for nothing. The praise is for walking in faithfulness. We trust him. He's given us everything. Why not do it? Anything that we do as it relates to the kingdom of God is God working through us. It is certainly, we can't take credit for any of it. We, we're just like these servants who have said, God, this is, this, this is yours. Your Mina has done this. I only did what I was told. I, I obeyed what you asked me to do. And, and this is, it's the same way. Anything we do for the kingdom of God is exactly that. It's God and, and what he does through it, through us, and does with the kingdom, through us. So yes. it's not our, not our own uh, uh, we're, we are called to do something, no question about that, and we have to do it, no doubt about that. And, and, and is, it, is it going to be work sometimes? It is going to be work, yeah, but man, the results are God's. They belong to Him. Absolutely. I do think it's, it's worth noting, uh, number one, that Amino was a unit uh, of measure, a unit, monetary unit, a hundred drachmas. Yeah. Um, uh, I, I am not sure in... In my own studies, I'm not sure exactly what that equates to in their day, but here's what is really noteworthy. Uh, he gave them a mina, a drachma. Notice notice every, every one of them got one, okay? Mm-hmm. Master, your mina, singular, has made 10 minas, okay? So he had given these things out, but this man had one. He made 10, and... The master makes him, gives him authority over 10 cities. The, the reward seems disproportionate mm-hmm. to the investment, okay? Mm-hmm. Seems, well, here's how disproportionate it is. None of this was the man's anyway. Didn't belong to him. So amazing that God would reward. Why? Why, yes. why would the master reward in this context? Well, it's because he's good. Yeah. It's because he's, he's generous, which is going to come back in a second to contradict that last servant's idea of what that master does. I, I think that I read, and if uh, there will be those that probably can check this out very easily, but I think I read that one mina was in our monetary uh, equi- equivalent would have been about $20. Okay. So uh, I, I think that's what I read. I think this, th- which would have, I think, equated to, uh, I think we said about a, a, a hundred days Wages, I believe. That's okay. uh, uh, yes. A mina was equal to a hundred days' wages. Wow. One mina. Wow. So, uh, so he gives this guy a hundred days' wages. That guy t- 
returns an investment on that 100 days wages on that money. He has he hands him back 10 of those. And the master says, in that faithfulness, the reward of that faithfulness, the, and, and here's the way we need to look at this, and I think we ought to think of our money this way as well uh, as Christians. We are to be generous people. We have been given much. Much is much is expected to those whom um, much has been given, to whom much has been given. And so the idea here is this investment, this, this work that he has done, he has, he has been extremely diligent with what he has been given. We ought to be wise in our investments, wise in what we're doing to honor God. And that, that kind of uh, shrewd faithfulness, that kind of, uh, that kind of devotion to the master's business is rewarded by the master saying, look at that kind of faithfulness. I'm going to give you responsibility over things that outweigh Mina's completely because this is what you're supposed to do. But the, the grand connection here is the garden, we were to rule and reign. We lost that. We, we abdicated that responsibility. And in Revelation, the faithful go right back to that commission. And this seems to be that grand in-between story, which is, are you going to be faithful with the minas that were given? Verse 16, the first appeared, master, your mina made 10 minas, and he gave to him 10 cities. Faithful, you have been faithful in a very little thing. You are to be in authority over 10 cities. In other words, a great thing. Verse 18, the second came saying, your mina, master, has made five minas. So he he does fivefold of this one, mm-hmm. the other tenfold of it. And he said, the master said to him also, you are uh, to be over five cities. Verse 20, another came saying, master, here is your mina. Now, I really love the fact that what Jesus points out here is the guy gives right back to him what was given to him. He says, I've not done anything with it. It's, it's exactly what it is. And then he says, which I kept, put away in a handkerchief, and this man is filled with excuses. He says, for I was afraid of you because you are an exacting man. And look at his view of his master. You take up what you did not lay down and reap what you did not sow. Here's why I challenge the man's view of his master. The master seems to retort, he seems to respond back to him in a very powerful way that says, oh, you think I'm that way, did you? Well, then here's what you ought to have done if I was really that way. Verse 22, he, the master says to him, by your own words, I will judge you, you worthless slave. Did you know that I am an exacting man taking up what I did not lay down and reaping what I did not sow? Is that a fact? Is that true, what you, what you know? Well, then why didn't you put my money in the bank? And, have, and having come, I would have at least collected it with interest. Yeah. If, if I'm really what you think I am, by the way, I just gave that guy 10 cities because he was faithful and something I gave him, right? If that is true, if I'm a harsh man, I wouldn't have done that. And if that was true, you should have at least talked to the banker. Yeah. You should have at least gained some interest for me, bud. Yeah. If this, if this story, and, it, and I, we know that it is from what Jesus is, we know the, the very reason that he's telling this story, but since this story is certainly not necessarily about making money for a master or for right. a, it is not, this, this guy, the problem was here is that there was... He was disobedient. He did not do what he was told to do. He had been told to do business with this while the master was gone, and and he did nothing. Yes. He just folded it up, put it in a put it in a handkerchief of all places. And 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 the master, a, a smart man, said, you know what? It you could have at least put it in the bank. Yes, you exactly. could have done something. So this story seems to be about. Are these guys part of the story? Not all of it. Part of it is: Are these? Are you going to do what what the master says to do? Are you yes. going to obey what he says, yes. even though you may think, "Well, I think I know a little bit about about the master, and I know that he is an exacting man, or he is a very diligent man." So I'm just going to give him back. I, I, he 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 takes what he says that that, that he. Uh, uh, takes up what he didn't lay down and he reaps what he didn't sow. 
Yeah, which is this is this is actually a negative. He is yes. he is saying something of his master of uh, wickedness, of of unfaithfulness, of theft, of stealing. Yeah. He yes. he is getting something in an unrighteous manner. So what a what a really dangerous accusation. Mm-hmm. And again, uh, the idea. Some translations render it that he says, "I was afraid of you. I was afraid of yeah. you." Right. Well, well, if that's the case then you ought to have done this. There are many people who who are just like waiting for Jesus to return. They're doing nothing. They're holding on for dear life going, I just don't want to I just don't want to screw anything up. You've been called to something. You've been called mm-hmm. to something more. You've you've been called to rule and reign in this life and that comes through how God says to live out our life and what we're supposed to do. But you've also been called to go into all the world yeah. and proclaim the gospel. We have been given much and we really ought to take that seriously. This man almost Nathan seemed lazy to me. He there was one one uh version of this that I read where it says that the the man didn't do anything with the money. Because he didn't think that the master needed his help. He didn't think he needed his help. So he was just going to just give it back to him and say, you know what I did while you were gone? Nothing. Not a thing. Not a single thing. And if you put this in the context of that this symbolizes someone who should be working for God while the kingdom of God is, while we're waiting on the kingdom of God to come in all of its glory, my goodness, it's just laziness. It's laziness and it is it's beyond laziness. It is being disobedient and not doing what the master has said to do. Without doubt. Uh, another thing worthy of note before we wrap up this great parable is that every servant was given the exact same amount. Mm-hmm. Now, yes. in the in the parable of the talents, we read things like one was given five, one was given two, and one was given one. And a lot of debate goes into how was that fair and how can you expect or whatever. And it's not about the return. It's about doubling the, you know, doubling what was given or whatever. In this case, here's what we know. Every servant had the ability to achieve the same uh, end. If one man in his faithfulness, could return the master's mina for 10. That means it was potential, it was possible for all to do it. Mm -hmm. Now, here's what I love about this, because it speaks very much to the character of God. The one did everything he could. He, He gave it the best of his ability. In view of that great gift God gave him, in view of that, he gave it the best of his ability, and guess what he did? He returns 10 minas to his master. The next guy does the best of his ability, All he could return was five, but the master says, way to go. Mm -hmm. The master doesn't say, tens the bar, jerk. Go to hell. Mm -hmm. He doesn't, no, it doesn't happen. Instead, he goes, well done. Well done. Here's five cities. I believe that what we're getting here is that the faithfulness of our, uh, the faithfulness of our action in view of mercy is directly proportionate to the blessing and the call that he has for us in this great kingdom that's coming, which is, hey, you've been faithful, way to go, here is the future, here is that kingdom, or here's that treasure you stored up in heaven, here is what's coming uh, for you in this great by and by, or this new heaven and this new earth. The reason the reason why I say that is because scripture is... Scripture is filled with language about reward in heaven, or about rewards in that. So to, to miss that is for us to miss a component yes. of this. Um, we tend to look at this and say, you know what? If God is really loving, he's going to be fair to everybody. Everybody's sitting on the same cloud with the exact same make and model harp, with the same exact <laughs> halo, same thing. That, first of all, that's all nonsense anyway. And second of all, he, he is rewarding us based on that faithful service to him, giving of our hearts and everything to produce whatever it is that he expects us to produce. Remembering at all times, he's not the master this last servant sees. He is a good master who rewards you in a way that you really don't deserve. You didn't even have the meaning to begin with. Yeah. yeah. Right? This exactly right. It didn't belong to them to start with. I I really think that, that... it, this uh, verse number 24 
and 25 and 26 can be confusing if we don't understand that Jesus just just a few days back prior to this, and yes. we read about it in Luke 8, 18, when he talks about when the master says, take the mina away from him, the guy who did nothing with it, and give it to the one who has 10. And they said to him, he already has 10. And the master says, I tell you that to everyone who has, more shall be given. But from the one who does not have, even what he does shall be taken away. Go read Luke chapter 8, yes. verse 18, and says this. So take care how you listen. For whoever has, to him more shall be given. And whoever does not have, even what he thinks he has, shall be taken away from yes. him. Yes. Jesus, wait, this is... This is not new. Yes. They heard this before. Yeah, and w- and a very important piece of interpretation here. It is vital for us to read this the right way. Yes. Jesus is not saying when he finds people who don't have anything, he's taking it away from them. <laughs> that would be patently absurd. What he is saying is, I tell you that everyone who has, why would that person have? Number one, everybody in this story has because God gave it to him to begin with, right? The one who has is the one who was faithful with what he was given at the outset. He has. And then Jesus says more is going to be given to that faithful one. But to the one who doesn't have because he was unfaithful with what he was given, what he has is going to be taken away from him. The idea here is blessing and consequence for faithful service in view of mercy. That's the reality of the kingdom of God. I know we don't like that. We look at it and say, well, it sounds like we're dealing with works again. We're on the other side of salvation here. We're talking about people who were servants of the master, who were given the gifts of his grace. So we can't We can't divorce that from what we're talking about. But that last line, verse 27, all of a sudden puts Jesus into uh uh-oh mode for everybody in the world. Now, he turns the corner and he says this, but these enemies of mine who did not want me to reign over them. Now, who is that? We're back to the citizens of this kingdom that Jesus didn't want. And here's what he says, bring them here. And slay them in my presence. Yeah. What? It's just just a, a stark warning. Yeah. A stark warning. Where's hippie Jesus? Yeah, exactly. I don't know what exactly. just happened, yeah. but we have a very serious <laughs> problem here yeah. that all of a sudden uh, Jesus went uh, all, you know, Terminator on yeah. everybody. If we don't, if we leave that part out, we don't, we don't represent God, absolutely, and, and truly represent God. He is a, he is a, he is a God of love. He is a God. Uh, that 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 loves, but he is a God of justice. He is a God of mercy, but he is a God of justice as well. And we got to roll this back just a little bit and remember <laughs> what this thing was all about. Why did Jesus even tell this story? He said they were thinking that the kingdom of God was going to come immediately, right then and there. And and he's saying, first of all, guys. Well, I mean, you serve a good master. You serve a good master. You have to obey him. If you don't obey him, there's, there's concerns. So he's going to delay his coming. But in the meantime, you do what he says. Amen. You work for him. You do all of the things that he's telling you to do. And, and, and do that until he does return. He is coming back. He just is not coming back in the time that you think, you think he is. But if you disobey, you're in... Verse number 27. Absolutely. Absolutely. So uh, another another piece of this, just to keep in mind, is when does Luke write this account? Uh, I mean, not that the account he's conveying in his writing didn't happen before this. It obviously happened before Jesus goes to the cross. But... Luke records his account much later, and there's an there's an event that seems to have taken place. If we're right in our dating, mm-hmm. Luke Luke has written this after the fall of Jerusalem in 70 A.D. So there is this crushing of the temple. It is very clear that his readers would have this in their mind as at least Theophilus, who is the one for whom this account has been written and given, right? Absolutely. And so he's hearing this, and it has led... Now, this this idea has led people to say that if he's talking about 70 AD, if he's talking about the fall of Jerusalem, and he wants 
uh, if he wants Theophilus to understand this, that something in this story seems anti-Semitic. It seems like it's against the Jews because he said, bring them here and slay him. Well, here's the problem. Everybody in this story seems to be Jewish. Yeah. yeah. The servants, the citizens, and the master. It's, it's, he rewards some, but the unfaithful or the ones who have rejected him they are rejected by him, okay? The, the, what does the gospel say? It says, it says, if we confess him before men, he will confess us before the Father. If we do not confess him before men, he isn't confessing us. He isn't saving us. So important piece here to remember, Jesus is just as well as he is good. And if you're going to reject him, if you're going to push him out, mm-hmm. well, that's it. That's a life or death decision. <laughs> Well, that's it for today, guys. And if you would, please like and share this podcast with your friends. And finally, remember 2 Timothy 3.16 and 17. All scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work.